Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I'll be honest, I'm I'm in a funk today. I just I'm not sick, I just don't feel well. I don't know what's going on. Um and uh, today's episode is going to be a massive, gigantic episode. What I decided to do was cut it into two halves because today's episode is going to be like a, a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour podcast. And I said, that's just going to be too long. So I'm going to record an episode tonight. It's uh, Sunday, March 22nd. And then again, tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Expect a podcast very quickly after this one. And that's really all I have. I just want to jump in. Again, I'm feeling – I just feel off. I don't know if it's like I've been – you know, cooped inside so much recently. I don't know what's going on, but I just kind of feel off, and I want to jump into the news. Um, former Rams running back Todd Gurley has signed a one-year, $6 million contract with the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, his new contract, paired with the money that his former team, the LA Rams, are going to be paying him, means that he's going to make around eleven and a half, uh, around $11 million, not eleven and a half, just $11 million this season in 2020. And, you know, Todd Gurley, to me, is kind of a sad story. Now, again, not, not, I mean, look, he's a multimillionaire. He, his career earnings are not sad. Um, but his career trajectory is kind of sad to me. The guy's only 25 years old. He's 25. He'll turn 26 in August. And some people believe that he chose to sign a one-year deal with the Falcons. Like, maybe Todd Gurley had a bunch of options, and this is the one he chose intentionally. Some people believe maybe he wants to use this year to prove that he deserves another big, long-term contract in the future. Unfortunately, I don't think that's true. I don't think he had a lot of options going into free agency this year. Um, I think Todd Gurley took the best offer he had available. Here's why. Todd Gurley has arthritis in his knee. And it can be managed. It can be treated. But it's also irreversible. He's not going to be... I mean, I think his career trajectory from here is just going to go downhill more and more. You know, my fear is Todd Gurley's career is actually coming to an end, even though he's only 26. After he got hurt, he wasn't as explosive. His stats dropped off. And now you do have to consider that Todd Gurley's offensive line last year with the Rams did have struggles. They were not the same offensive line he had last year. You know, the Rams' poor offensive line play hurt their passing game. It hurt their quarterback, Jared Goff. It made them not win as many games. And yes, of course, that, you know, the offensive line for L.A. affected Todd Gurley's numbers. But also, look, when you watched Todd Gurley last year, he wasn't the same. He wasn't as quick. He struggled to break away, struggled to make people miss an open field. And I believe that the reason why the Atlanta Falcons signed Todd Gurley was out of desperation. Their running game was awful last year, and uh, they're hoping Todd Gurley can bring a spark they didn't have last year. I hope I'm massively, massively wrong about Todd Gurley. I hope that he goes out this year, he's phenomenal, he proves everybody wrong, he shows Todd Gurley should have been making way more money, he should have been the highest paid running back in the league. I hope that's what happens. I don't believe that's what's going to happen, though. That's sad. It's kind of the reality I'm looking at. You know, to me, arthritis feels kind of like a death sentence for a running back. Arthritis in your knee? Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, I I just, again, it can be treated. It can be managed. He's going to have to take fewer reps in practice. He's going to have to have his load managed. 
you know, have, have fewer reps, have, have a lighter load on his body. But uh, you know, Todd Gurley, I, I just think it's it's going to increasingly go farther and farther down from here. He might have one good year left. I hope I hope I'm massively wrong. But again, arthritis in the knee just really, really scares me and makes me feel bad. Now it is worth noting uh, he's going back. He's going to the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta, Georgia, and Todd Gurley played college football at the University of Georgia, which is pretty cool because he's going back to a state where he was massively, massively popular in college. Uh, that makes me pr- that's pretty cool. Um, I hope he has a good time in Atlanta, a place where he's loved and really welcomed. But again, my fear is that we are only seeing the beginning of the end for Todd Gurley's career. How about the Broncos? The Broncos signed running back Melvin Gordon to a two-year deal worth $16 million, $13.5 million guaranteed. And I feel kind of bad for Melvin Gordon. It's been reported that Melvin Gordon was offered even more money last at the beginning of last year when he played for the Chargers. He was holding out. He refused to go to training camp. And apparently he was offered a lot more money than he's making now. And it's, it's kind of sad because he should have just taken the offer when he had it rather than hoping he got paid more in free agency. And, uh, man, running backs, they're just, you know, nobody wants to pay a running back a big long-term contract. It's a sad reality that's kind of right in front of us. I, I feel bad. Running backs are just, their market value is not very high right now. In the NFL, I feel bad for guys who believe they deserve a lot of money and look work really hard and get hit a bunch and the the NFL just doesn't want to pay the money I feel bad for those guys but it is also their market value I mean I would warn anybody if you're a kid in high school and you can play quarterback or running back play quarterback (laughs) if if by any chance you make it to the NFL and even if you don't I mean look quarterbacks have a better quality of life than running backs. it's just kind of the fact Uh, their bodies don't get beat up they get a lot of the praise they get paid more money I mean if my kid had the ability to play both, I'd say, hey, son, play quarterback. Your life is going to be better. You're going to have a better quality of life. I feel bad for running backs. It's unfortunate. Now, let's talk about Melvin Gordon going to the Broncos. Uh, this is a great move for the Denver Broncos. I'm happy for them. They now have two really good running backs, both Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. And this is overwhelmingly good for the Broncos. They're going to use both heavily. You know, Philip Lindsay has had... Back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing seasons. He's still the number one back, in my opinion. And uh, Gordon can still help in a lot of ways. He's really good in the passing game. Uh, you know, Royce Freeman, remember, Royce Freeman contributed a lot for the Broncos last year. He was the number two back. They just made a massive upgrade at their number two running back position. Melvin Gordon is a good runner. He's also a good pass catcher. Sometimes, every once in a while, his former team, the Chargers, would line him up out wide and he'd play at receiver. I don't know. It, also, it's cool to see Melvin Gordon move within his division, the a, uh, the AFC West. Melvin Gordon is going to get to play his old team, the LA Chargers, twice a year for the remainder of his career in Denver. And uh, I'm happy for him. He's going to get some revenge. And I'm happy for the Broncos. Again, they got a really good secondary running back. He's paid a lot of money. I don't know how they're going to pay Philip Lindsay. I don't know if... I really wonder, are the roles going to shift? Is Melvin Gordon eventually going to become the number one guy? I don't think so. I, I would honestly have, I think Philip Lindsay's the number one in my mind, but we'll see what the Broncos believe. Either way, man, all around, it's a great, great move for the Denver Broncos. And the Broncos have made so many really good moves this offseason. 
They added offensive lineman Graham Glasgow from the uh, Detroit Lions. They gave him a four-year, $44 million deal. The offensive line is going to be a lot better next year for the Denver Broncos. Their tackle, Jawan James, is coming back from an injury. They also traded for a new cornerback, A.J. Boye, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. They only gave up a fourth-round pick to get him. They traded a seventh-round pick to the Titans for Jarrell Casey, a defensive tackle. Their defensive line got better as well. Remember, the Titans were willing to give up Jarrell Casey because you know, he has an expensive contract. He's going to get paid $11.5 million in 2020. And the Titans have a really tight budget. They just wanted to get rid of the contract. So they gave him up for only a seventh-round draft pick. Pretty cheap. I mean, the Denver Broncos have to pay him. But giving up a seventh-round pick for Jarrell Casey, he might be 30 years old. That's still a really, really good move. They also cut their quarterback, Joe Flacco, which is good. They have now a, a less problematic backup, Jeff Driscoll. I don't know, man. A ton of an offensive lineman. They added a defensive lineman. They added a new corner. They've now added a new running back. The Broncos look really solid going into next year. They have Drew Locke, a, a young quarterback, going into his second year. They have a, a new offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. I am so, so excited to watch the Denver Broncos this year. They're making a lot of progress as a franchise. They really upgraded their team all around in free agency. And, uh, man, I'm just happy and excited to watch the Denver Broncos next year. It's going to be fun. They're a franchise on the rise. And uh, I, I hope people take notice because they are uh, probably the second-best team right now in their division, the AFC West. And the battle for second in that division behind the Chiefs is going to be really, really fascinating this year in 2020. Here's a weird, really interesting part of the story from Melvin Gordon signing with the Denver Broncos. Reporter Mike... Kliss uh, tweeted this. He said, Mike uh, Kliss tweeted, his name is hard to say. Mike, no offense to you, Mike Kliss. Kliss is not a weird, (laughs) it's kind of a a name I never thought I would say in my lifetime. Uh, The Bills offered a little more to Melvin Gordon than the Broncos per player source is what Mike Kliss tweeted. He said, Gordon grew up in Wisconsin, so he's not afraid of cold weather, but he wanted to play for the Broncos. That's that key phrase. The Bills offered him a contract, but he wanted to play for the Broncos instead. This is a local Denver reporter kind of trying to make Denver feel good about itself. And here's what's really interesting is legendary ESPN reporter Adam Schefter came out of nowhere. He quote tweeted Mike Kliss's tweet saying this, just to be clear, Mike, the Bills didn't make any offers to Gordon. Boom. He said, no, Mike, you are very, very wrong. Let me set the record straight. And Adam Schefter went out of his way to make a correction. Kind of a weird move. So Mike Kliss responded, I was told differently. And Adam Schefter replied, kind of ending things by saying, agent reach out to the Bills. Bills never made an offer. So why did all this happen? Why would Adam Schefter go out of his way to correct a local reporter? Something he doesn't do very often. I got a lot of theories about it. This is the kind of stuff I live for. I really, really love this kind of drama. Number one, I believe Mike Kliss used an unreliable source. He, he quoted, you know, he said, according to player source. What does that mean? Does that mean a player told you that? Does that mean that there was locker room talk? Another guy told his teammate, then the teammate tells you. It's very weird and kind of odd. Maybe it's part of his, his business management, his social media team. You know, Melvin Gordon's social media team that told you that. I have no idea what that means. Player source, that's very odd. Basically, what I, I believe is that Mike Kliss jumped at the opportunity 
to make his local market Denver seem good. That's what local reporters love to do. How can I fit a story to make it look like my area is awesome or my area looks good to make the people of Denver feel good? That's kind of what I believe Mike Kliss was up to. And, uh, you know, Adam Schefter loves facts. He likes getting things right. He's very passionate about that. Now, my speculation, this is not a fact, this is my opinion, is that maybe Adam Schefter didn't like having a false narrative out there. And he's like, this local guy could be causing really big problems for the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to step in and take care of it. This is kind of the politics behind the scenes with sourcing in the NFL, stuff that people don't really talk about. You have to wonder, did the Buffalo Bills ask Adam Schefter to set the record straight? Did they say, hey, Adam, please do us a solid, respond to this guy. He's got a fact wrong. It makes us look bad. Do us a favor, call out Mike Kliss, and we will reward you in the future. Is that possible? Because the report that Mike Kliss put out that the Buffalo Bills offered Melvin Gordon was not a good thing for the Buffalo Bills. Every time you say something, your words have consequence. I don't know that Mike Kliss even realized this at the time. But the Bills maybe didn't want their running back getting all bent out of shape, believing that his team was trying to replace him with Melvin Gordon. Maybe, man. I, I, I Again, I love this kind of stuff. This is the stuff I live for. It's interesting to me. Why does this guy say this? Why does this guy say that? Why did Mike Kliss come out? Why did Adam Schefter heavily, you know, combat, combatively say, you're wrong, Mike. This is what really happened. He doubled down on it like he did it literally twice. You got to remember, Adam Schefter is the best at what he does, at breaking news and understanding, having a great grasp at what's going on behind the scenes in the NFL. And now the Bills owe Adam Schefter a favor. That's what happened because Adam Schefter was willing to speak up and say, oh, no, 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 Mike, you're wrong. The Bills running back is now happy knowing, oh, my team wasn't trying to replace me. The guy had the report wrong. Why is the Bills running back today feel more comfortable in his role? It's because of Adam Schefter willing to speak out against Mike Kliss. My guess is, and I, I'm, I'm curious, I don't know, but my guess is that Adam Schefter spoke out against Mike Kliss to do a favor for the Buffalo Bills. He's going to use that as leverage to get a scoop someday. Remember, hey, the Buffalo, I defended you. I set the record straight that one time. You now owe me a scoop. You now owe me a solid. That's the kind of stuff I love. And my guess is that's exactly what happened behind the scenes of this Adam Schefter, Mike Kliss kind of drama where Adam Schefter really strongly said, no, Mike, you're wrong about this. I'm going to even double down. That, I think, is all the stuff that happened behind the scenes in that story. Stuff I just, oh my gosh, I love it. Here's another story. The Pittsburgh Steelers signed tight end Eric Ebron to a two-year $12 million deal. And there are two storylines here. Number one, what does this mean for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Some people speculate that the Steelers are investing in their running game. You know, they signed a new running back, Derek Watt, or excuse me, a new fullback, a new fullback, Derek Watt. Maybe that's to help the running game. And maybe the reason they're bringing in Eric Ebron, oh, they're going to run the ball more. They're going to use more heavy sets. That's what some people were speculating online. And I think those people don't really understand football very well because they would understand that Eric Ebron is a horrible blocking tight end. 
He's a receiving tight end. He's not a guy that pushes dudes around in the running game. He's a guy that runs downfield and catches balls downfield. He's a receiving tight end. So I don't buy that the reason why they signed Eric Ebron is to make their running game better. And the fact that I saw some reporters saying that tells me they don't understand the game of football very well or they're just not very informed on who Eric Ebron is and what his skill set is. Now, some people are concerned about Eric Ebron's maturity. He had problems. His first team team was the Detroit Lions. He kind of flamed out there. Four years, they just let him walk away. And last season with the Colts, he was healthy enough in the eyes of the Colts. The Colts' doctors believed that Eric Ebron was healthy enough to play. And Eric Ebron wasn't comfortable with that. So he decided to shut his season down after week 12. 11 games into the year, Eric Ebron said, I'm not feeling it. I don't think I'm healthy enough. We have five games left. It's fine. I'm just going to walk away and uh, shut down for the rest of the year. And yeah, I'm too injured to play. I can't blame Eric Ebron. Again, the Colts were 6-5. and five you know, entering the back half of the year. And Eric Ebron did what was best for him. He said, look, I'm not healthy enough to play. My career matters a lot to me. I'm not going to play injured. I'm going to just sit out for the rest of the year. But obviously the Colts did not like that. They did not want him back, even though they could have afforded him. His contract wasn't so crazy. The Colts couldn't say, yeah, we can pay you two years, uh, $12 million. So they could have had him, but the Colts didn't want him back. They didn't invite him back onto their team. And here's what's more interesting and sort of funny. The, the, my favorite part of the story, the second storyline from Eric Ebron signing with the Steelers, is that when this happened, Bears fans lost their minds. They went crazy because the Bears signed another tight end, Jimmy Graham, to a two-year $16 million deal worth $4 million more than Eric Ebron's contract. Here's what's funny. So Jimmy Graham and Eric Ebron are very similar players. They're both receiving tight ends. They're not very good in the running game blocking. But the problem is that, you know, even though they had similar games last year, you know, last year, Jimmy Graham in 16 games had very similar numbers to Eric Ebron. Here's the problem. Eric Ebron didn't play 16 games last year. He only played 11. Like, oh, that's not good. Jimmy Graham's not the same level of player as Eric Ebron. And even more concerning is Jimmy Graham is a lot older than Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron's 26, he'll be 27 in April. You know, right around the corner, he's going to turn 27, I think on April 10th. Jimmy Graham is 33 years old, he'll be 34 in November, right? He's going to, he's at the last leg of his career, still making $8 million a year, whereas Eric Ebron's making six a year, and he's much younger, he's in the, you could even call the prime of his career. And two years ago, Eric Ebron had a great season, he had 750 yards, receiving 66 catches, and 13 touchdowns. Jimmy Graham hasn't been that productive since 2016. He hasn't had a year even close to that in over three years. So here's the question. Why are the Bears paying Jimmy Graham more than Eric Ebron? It makes no sense. It's just funny to me. I don't have a like a big like point here other than to say I found it really amusing that Eric Ebron signed with the Steelers, a two-year $12 million deal, and Bears fans were so mad. Oh, they were furious. What are we doing? If Eric Ebron's making less than our guy, why are we paying our guy so much? I think it's so funny and interesting. Bears fans just flipped out. Why are we paying Jimmy Graham as much as we are? I can't answer that either. I don't know why. The only thing I can think is that maybe the reason, part of why the Bears gave more money to Jimmy Graham was they were trying to outbid the Packers. Maybe the Bears were like, 
it's less about how good Jimmy Graham is and more about not letting the Packers have Jimmy Graham. Maybe that's what happened. It's like we're taking our rival's player. He's not going back. That might have been what happened. But either way, watching Bears fans freak out <laughs> about how much the Bears are paying Jimmy Graham, it brought me a lot of amusement. And uh, I don't know. I think Eric Ebron's a good move for the Saint, for the Steelers. Excuse me. Um, $6 million a year. Eric Ebron has got a bright future. If you can help him maturity-wise and get him locked in on the field, he's a really good receiving tight end. But he's not a blocking tight end. The fact that people said that was very odd to me, and I just think that the people who reported that maybe Eric Ebron coming to the Steelers means they're going to run the ball more, I don't think they understand Eric Ebron's skill set. He's not a blocking tight end. He's a receiving tight end. Okay, um, the Ravens traded defensive end Chris Wormley to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers get Chris Wormley and a 2027th round pick. The Ravens got a 2025th round pick. This is a really odd trade, not only because you very rarely ever see a trade within the same division, uh, but this is only the second time in history that there's been a trade between the Steelers and the Ravens. It's very, very weird. Here's the thing. Trading players away to a team you play twice a year Almost never happens. No one likes doing it because you don't want to help your rival. And if you do ever trade a player from your own team to a team you play twice a year within your own division, it's kind of a level of disrespect to that player saying, we're not afraid of you. The Ravens basically said, hey, yeah, go play for the Steelers. We're not afraid of you. We'll play you twice a year. No bother to us. Now, the reason why the Baltimore Ravens got rid of him was because they added two more defensive ends in uh, throughout their free agency moves. They brought in Calais Campbell from the Jaguars. They brought in Michael Brockers from the Rams. So they're like, we just don't need him anymore. Chris Wormley was going to cost the Ravens over $2 million this year, which is a lot for a backup defensive end. He's not going to play a ton. And so in my opinion, all around, even though this is an odd trade, it's very rare to see a trade between the Ravens and the Steelers in their own division. I think everybody won here. The Ravens didn't need him. And he was going to be an expensive backup. They saved room salary cap-wise. The Steelers got a new starting defensive end. Good for them. At a pretty you know, moderate price. Chris Wormley is expensive for a backup. He's actually pretty cheap for a starter. And Chris Wormley wins because he gets to play. So all around, I think everybody wins. It's an odd trade. Again, only the second time we've ever seen the Steelers and the Ravens complete a trade between each other. Um, but I think everybody won in the end. All right, um... Receiver Emmanuel Sanders just signed a two-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. And if you're a, a fan of the Buccaneers, you're like, oh, Tom Brady just signed. Let's go. I think this is a big message to everybody. Oh, uh, yeah, don't forget about the Saints. <laughs> They're still really good, and they just got even better. So Emmanuel Sanders signed a $16 million deal. It's, there's potential for it to be worth up to $19 million with all the other stuff built into the wording of the contract. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is 33 years old. This is a great fit for him. He's nearing the end of his career. And I think for him, he wants to win games and he wants to play with a really good quarterback. He gets to play for the Saints. They're going to win. And he gets to play with Drew Brees. Great for him. I'm happy for Emmanuel Sanders. He won big here. But I'm also happy for the Saints. Think about this. Emmanuel Sanders is a perfect number two receiver in their offense. He's a smaller guy. He's quick. He's more explosive. He's a great route runner. He's tough to cover one-on-one. I mean, if you're a linebacker or a safety, you literally cannot cover 
Emmanuel Sanders one-on-one. If he's in the slot, they have to put a, a, a true cornerback on him. They can't try to cover him with a linebacker or a safety. Nobody's talented enough. Maybe Teran Matthew of the Kansas City Chiefs could cover Emmanuel Sanders out of the slot. But again, there's only a handful of guys in the league that aren't a corner that can cover him. And he's a, a really smart route runner. He knows when to find space between zone coverages. He's just a great, great route runner. He's a great receiver. I did a film analysis video of him last year. My buddy Nathan Hawthorne, who played Division One football, helped me out with that. Um, and pairing Michael Thomas, who's arguably the best receiver in the NFL, pairing him with Emmanuel Sanders is, oh my gosh, it's good for everybody. It's good for Drew Brees, the quarterback. Drew Brees is going to be really, really happy. And the two receivers are going to help each other because the defense is going to have no idea who to pay more attention to. My guess is teams are going to try to double-team Michael Thomas, which will leave Emmanuel Sanders in one-on-one coverage. But I just did a whole thing explaining how it's really hard to cover Emmanuel Sanders one-on-one. So, I don't know. Everybody's talking about, oh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're the team getting all the media attention right now in the NFC South. But I would not overlook the New Orleans Saints. Think about this. They have Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook at tight end, Dalvin Kamara at running back. A good offensive line, a good defensive line. Pretty good defense all around. And a great head coach, Sean Payton. The New Orleans Saints, man, they are still the team to beat in the NFC South. Everybody's talking about the Buccaneers. And good for them. They should talk about that team. But the New Orleans Saints right now are the team still to beat. In the NFC South. All right. Um, I'm drink some water real quick. Then we'll talk about Miami. I got good stuff about Miami. The Miami Dolphins added running back Jordan Howard. He signed a two-year, $10 million deal. And uh, this is a really good move for the Dolphins. He's a, he's a good running back. He's not super expensive. Jordan Howard is now the new number one running back in Miami. And I like Jordan Howard. Like, he's been in the NFL for four years. Uh, two of those four years, he has had 1,000-yard seasons. His other, his third year in the NFL, he had over 900 yards rushing. Now, last year in Philadelphia, he was a backup to Miles Sanders. He got hurt. He didn't play the whole year. But Jordan Howard's a good running back. He can catch passes. He runs really well. And his best trait is probably his ability to actually pass block in the passing game. He's top-notch. In the NFL, it's very rare to find a running back who is really good and can hold his own in the pass-blocking scheme, and he, he really can. Jordan Howard's a great pass-blocker in the running in the passing game. And I just, I, I think it's a great move for the Dolphins. It's good. They got a good new number one running back. He's cheaper than a lot of other guys who would have been at that position. And if you look around at, in the scheme of things, at what the Dolphins have done this offseason, all they have done is add quality players to their roster. They added linebacker Kyle Van Noy, a linebacker from the Patriots. They added Byron Jones, a corner from Dallas. Gave him a massive contract, but it was worth it. I think he's a really good corner. They made their offensive line bad, better. They added Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers is a guy, when I said, man, the Dolphins added Eric Flowers, woo, people were like, what? That's crazy. Eric Flowers was terrible. He was a bust with the New York Giants. And yeah. Eric Flowers played tackle with the Giants, and it didn't work. But last year with the Washington Redskins, Eric Flowers got moved from tackle inside to guard. And at guard, he was phenomenal. So here's the thing. Eric Flowers at guard is a great contract. Eric Flowers at tackle is not. The Dolphins are going to play Eric Flowers at guard 
That's a great move that makes your offensive line even better. So all these people they added, they added a running back, a linebacker, a corner, a good offensive lineman. Then you think about, oh, the Dolphins actually have 14 draft picks in the 2020 NFL draft. Oh my gosh, they're going to keep adding players. They have three picks in the first round alone. The Dolphins are going to keep getting better and better. Uh, The Dolphins are building something. A lot of people aren't paying attention to it. They're not quite understanding how much better the Dolphins have gotten. The Dolphins are a team people need to start realizing is on the rise. The Miami Dolphins are building something, and they are becoming very quickly a, a team that at least people need to pay attention to. Are they the team to beat yet in their division? No. But they are really building something, and I would not be shocked if they finished second in their division this year in the AFC East. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do Ask Zach. And I've got a topic about how the whole world is quarantined right now. I think it's actually good for baseball. Kind of odd, but it's my opinion. We'll talk about that when I get back. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to now talk about baseball. Baseball is not something I talk about very often. My, my big problem with the sport of baseball, at least... Major League Baseball. I love baseball. I'm a huge fan. I love going to baseball games. But Major League Baseball and I have something that I just really struggle with. And I can't quite... I can't embrace Major League Baseball. The regular season is way, way too long. Now, I want to make an interesting comparison. And maybe offer a possibility of how baseball could change. You know, the world is kind of shut down right now. Everybody's on quarantine. People are trying to avoid getting sick. And as a result of the quarantine, there have been a ton of unintended consequences all over the world. Many companies are realizing that their corporate offices are pretty meaningless. You know, a lot of my friends have been working from home for the last couple of weeks and uh, they're getting a lot of stuff done. Their jobs continue and they're, they're fine. And if they need to collaborate, they can call someone on the phone and they don't need to go walk to the cubicle next to them. They can literally call the person and go, hey, I need you to send me blah, 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 and they do. So as a result of the quarantine and what's going on throughout the world, a lot of things are going to change everywhere. Now, one of the big changes is that uh, it's maybe a temporary change. You know, similar to all my friends working from home, Major League Baseball should be going on in about a week. Major League Baseball was supposed to start on March 29th this year. That's not going to happen. Normally, Major League Baseball starts in one of the last couple days of March or one of the first couple days of April. You know, baseball will start in April or the end of March and then go all the way until October when the World Series is. Now, currently, people are in talks. Maybe the Major League Baseball season will be able to start mid-May. I think, honestly, what's going to happen is baseball is going to be postponed until June. June is about, I think by June, my guess is, And what I've been hearing is that that's when everything's going to be back to somewhat of a normal state, at least in America. But what that's going to mean is that we're going to get a shorter Major League Baseball season. Ah, it makes me so happy. Baseball's played outdoors. You can't play baseball beyond October. October is when baseball has to end because it'll be too cold and too rainy to have baseball games every single day. Uh, Because baseball is a sport, unlike football, which can get rained out. And unlike basketball, they play outdoors. This makes all of me so, I'm just so happy about this. I, I'm so, so thrilled that we might have a shorter Major League Baseball season. I love 
love the sport of baseball. It's fun. It's intense. It's very engaging. Like literally, I mean, baseball, when it matters, is such a great sport. When you have bottom of the ninth, two outs, a guy on second base, and every pitch could either be the game, a, a hit that ends the game, and the guy grounds out or hits a fly ball and he's out. Or if the batter hits a base hit and the guy from second can score, I mean, it's so intense. Baseball has moments of tension that other sports don't even have because of the nature of any moment a run can get. It's just really, really like, oh, it's fast and it's intense. It's not fast is not the right word there. It's just it can be very tense. It's kind of like a slow thriller movie where you're like, any moment now, this could be the moment where something really big happens. And you have to watch very carefully on the edge of your seat in baseball. And some sports don't have it the same way. So I think a shorter Major League Baseball season would be really, really good for baseball because what it would do is force games to be more meaningful. Here's what's going to happen likely. Say we cut off, there's no games in April, there's no games in May. In June, Major League Baseball continues. And they just play the rest of the year. Normally, baseball is 162 games each team during the regular season. That's such a long season. That's almost twice as much. An NBA season is 82 games. Major League Baseball, if <laughs> would be 164 games would literally be twice as much as the NBA. They're two games short of being twice as long as the NBA season. That's unbelievably long. It's too much for me. I can't, I can't follow that many baseball games. It wears me out. I think a shorter Major League Baseball season could be really good for the sport of baseball. It could create a sense of urgency. They're going to play, what, 100 games this year? That, that would make it more meaningful. Every game would have more meaning. You have fewer home games. If you want to go watch a game, a lot of people say, a lot of people I know at least, try to go to one baseball game a year. And if every baseball fan feels that way, they're going to have fewer opportunities this year to go to their one game a year, meaning... Average attendance for games is going to be actually higher because all those people will have a short amount of time to get to that one game they go to a year. If you were dates to do that. I think having a smaller number of games, having a more concentrated amount of games makes baseball better and more meaningful. I like that side of baseball. I really, I really believe that's what's going to happen. I have wanted a shorter baseball season for like seven years. I've just... Every, when I was a kid, I realized, like, this is just a long, long slogging season. I can't follow it. It's just too much. Well, in 2020, if we get a baseball season at all, we're going to get the season I've always wanted, which is a shorter baseball season. Now, maybe. It's very, very unlikely. But just maybe, baseball will end up having a long-term change because of this. I don't know that that's really going to happen. Uh, but companies around America have begun realizing oh, our corporate offices are no longer useful. Everyone's working from home, and it's totally fine. And maybe baseball will realize, you know, we had a shorter season this year, and revenue was close. I mean, we had high attendance. People watched games. It actually mattered. There was more excitement. Maybe. It's, it's unlikely. Again, I think Major League Baseball doesn't want to change. I don't think they're going to change. But it, there's a small possibility here that as a result of having a shorter Major League Baseball season, people in baseball realize, oh, we can do this. It's actually more fun. It's more interesting when there's more urgency, when there's fewer games, and each game matters a little bit more. It's actually better for the sport. I don't know if it's going to happen. I doubt it, but it is possible. What I'm going to do in 2020, if baseball happens, I'm going to support it. I'm going to say, 
I love this. This is a product I like. I like it shorter. I want it this way. I'm going to preach that to the heavens. Say, look, I like a shorter baseball season. Makes me happy. I love the sport of baseball. I just don't like having 162 games. That's way too many. But 100 games? 90 games? 80 games? Oh, man. That works. It's still a lot of games, but it's a lot better and it's a lot more meaningful if you have fewer games a year. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to go make a point to go to a game this year if baseball happens. Uh, and I'm going to support the shorter season because I, as a fan, that's the product I want. I will support it if they have a shorter year. Um, and if they have a longer year, in two years from now, I'm probably going to fade back away and say, eh, talk to me in October. Because normally what I do with baseball is when the playoffs start or right around just like a couple weeks before the playoffs, I finally pay attention. Because I'm not watching a baseball game in mid, mid-May. Mid-June, on a Tuesday, when you have four more games that week, I don't care. But around game 150 out of 162 is when I start to pay attention in baseball. But if they shorten to the year, I'll pay attention a lot sooner because all those games are going to matter a lot, lot more. That's my pitch. I hope that's what happens. I don't think Major League Baseball is going to have a long-term change because of having one shorter season. But man, do I really, really hope that's what happens. All right, guys, it's time for Ask Zach. Uh, Ask Zach is a segment where I read questions from the audience. The way to submit a question, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. A dollar a month may seem like nothing to you. That one dollar may be really small to you, but to me, it makes a huge impact on my life. It literally pays my rent. And if you do the math, 12 months, a dollar a month, that's $12 a year. To submit a question on Patreon, you give $12 a year or, hey, a dollar a month, maybe do it for one month and you bounce. But either way, that dollar goes a long way, especially in a time right now where there's honestly, the times are tough. (laughs) It it really is. Um, Now, I do not guarantee to answer your question if you submit one to Patreon. I I just don't. Uh, But what I do do is I do promise and guarantee. I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple. I read them on the show. And uh, let's jump into the first question of the day. It's from Chris. He goes, hey, Zach, so many Colts fans are upset about the Phillip Rivers move to Indianapolis. Do you see the Colts trading Jacoby, even though he played so well in the first half of the season last year? Do you think the Pats would take Jacoby over Jameis Winston or Cam Newton because of how much they know what he's going to be like in the off in the locker room? P.S. I've been liking the new flannels. Thank you so much for the compliment on the flannels. Uh, this is a two-part question. We'll talk about Phillip Rivers, and we'll talk about Jacoby Brissett to the Patriots. Um, number one, the more I read about Philip Rivers going to the Indianapolis Colts, the better and better I feel about it. Uh, Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and uh, he worked with Philip Rivers for three years previously in San Diego with the Chargers. He used to be his offensive coordinator, which that's a if you have worked with a quarterback before as, as his offensive coordinator, you have a pretty good relationship. You've worked really closely and really intensely together. And Frank Reich loves Philip Rivers. He did an interview where he talked about the guy's passion, the guy's enthusiasm, and how he said he makes it fun for everybody in the building, every level of the company. It's fun for them to come to work today. If you get to work with Philip Rivers, it's a blast. You like it. Not because he's happy and jolly all the time, because he's intense, he cares, he's passionate, he wants to win, and he's got a great attitude, and he's got a lot of enthusiasm. He called Philip Rivers an elite quarterback. And he said what Philip Rivers is going to do, he said we already have a really high standard of preparation in our organization. But all that Philip Rivers is going to do is he's going to come in 
and elevate that expectation, that standard of preparation even more. Frank Reich is a big Philip Rivers fan. Philip Rivers made a really gigantic impact on him when they worked together in San Diego with the Chargers. And uh, man, I'm telling you, I feel great about this. I haven't watched the film yet. We'll do a film analysis next week of Philip Rivers. But everything I'm hearing, you got a great football team, the Indianapolis Colts. You have a coach who loves the quarterback and a quarterback who's going to push people. He's going to create a great culture in that locker room. Uh, I feel the more I read, the better and better I feel about Philip Rivers to the Colts. Now let's talk about the second part of Chris's question. He said, would the Patriots trade for Colts quarterback Jacoby Brissett? Remember, Jacoby Brissett used to play for the Patriots. They traded him to the Colts. Would they take a trade to trade to take Jacoby Brissett back? Uh, the Patriots, let me say, be very, very clear. The Patriots would never trade with the Colts for Jacoby Brissett. It's not going to happen. Here's why. Jacoby Brissett might be a quarterback. He might be a guy they've worked with before. He also costs $21 million against the salary cap in 2020. The Patriots never, ever, ever overpay for a player. They've only done it once. They paid Rob Gronkowski probably a little bit more than he was worth, but look, they were happy with that. The only example I can think of of the Patriots being willing to spend money on a player is Rob Gronkowski. It's literally the only one in my entire life I can think of. They let Wes Welker walk away. They let Tom Brady walk away. The Patriots are incredibly, incredibly stingy. They're the ultimate bargain hunters. Think of your friend. We all have this one friend that refuses to spend money on anything. Is the ultimate. He or she is the ultimate stingy person. They're super frugal. If you brought up the idea of them buying a BMW, they would laugh at you. They'd say, I'm not buying a BMW. I can get a better price for a different name brand. I don't need to spend money on the name. It's just an expensive name. I can get a car like a BMW anywhere. A lot. I've had that conversation with friends of mine that are cheap bargain hunters. They're not doing it. The Patriots are that person. The Patriots are not willing to spend money. No matter what the, the pitch is, they're not going to do it. That guy's the Patriots. The Patriots would never, ever trade for Jacoby Brissett simply because he's $21 million against the salary cap. They're not going to spend that much and pay that much to a quarterback. They refuse to do that. Not a guy, at least, of Jacoby Brissett's caliber. So, no, the Patriots are not going to trade for Jacoby Brissett. It's simply not going to happen. That leads me to the next question. It's from Aiden. Aiden writes in. He says, hey, Zach. Just wanted to say I'm a huge fan of the show, and I think you're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much. I mean, that means a lot. Uh, he says, this is my first question I've submitted. Awesome. Love it. You're doing great so far. <laughs> and he said, uh, I just wanted to know what your thoughts are for the future of the Patriots. It seems like we haven't gotten any good news for the team this entire offseason, and it honestly feels like we don't have any plan whatsoever. Thanks again for reading this with your eyeballs. Thank you, Aiden, for the question. Um, Aiden... I have no idea what the Patriots' plan is. I don't. I couldn't tell you. Uh, they've lost a number of really good players. They obviously lost Tom Brady, their quarterback. They refused to pay Jamie Collins. They refused to pay Kyle Van Noy. Jamie Collins went to the Lions. Kyle Van Noy went to the Dolphins. And it, that's not a surprise to me. They are never. The Patriots are never, ever going to be a team to outbid anybody for a player. That's how they operate. They're stingy. They're cheap. They're always trying to find a good deal. The Patriots now have two quarterbacks left. They, have, they just signed Brian Hoyer, brought him in from the Colts. 
And they have Jarrett Stidham, the guy who was a rookie last year, Palm Brady's backup. And the Patriots have been very, very, very quiet. And while they've been quiet, everybody's dragging them through the mud. People are saying all kinds of horrible stuff about the Patriots. Hey, myself included. I said, look, I, this doesn't look good for the Patriots. They lost a bunch of key players. What's going to happen? But I'm telling you, Bill Belichick, the head coach and general manager of the Patriots, is sitting at home. He's sitting in the Patriots' office, listening to all the stuff people are saying. People are like, the Patriots are terrible. Are they tanking? He hears everything going on. And he's sitting there like an evil genius, twiddling his thumbs, just watching. And I think probably laughing, literally going, ha just you wait. Just you wait. There's one thing I'm sure of when it comes to the Patriots right now. The only thing I'm probably sure of. I have no idea what their plan is, but I know they have a plan. I guarantee you Bill Belichick has a plan. I don't know what it is, but he's won six Super Bowls. He's the Patriots head coach. He's the general manager. He's the most successful head coach in NFL history. He always has a plan. There's no way Bill Belichick is just winging it, hoping things work out. Bill Belichick... You can say, you don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the plan is. I have no idea what's going on, what's, go- what's happening in his head. But I guarantee you, Bill Belichick has a plan. Is he going to tank and try to get a quarterback next year? I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know one thing, Aiden. Bill Belichick knows what he's doing, and he has a plan. He always, always does. Okay, Clutch God writes in. He says, hey, Zach, who are your favorite basketball players, both of all time and current, and why do you like them? Uh, when I, when I, you know, first read this question, a couple guys came to my mind. Number one is obviously Kobe Bryant. Um, to me, the thing about Kobe was his work ethic that always really, really impressed me and really, really inspired me. He inspired so many people. Kobe Bryant's work ethic was always big to me as a kid. I also always loved Tim Duncan and uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, both of those guys are kind of they're the kind of guys you want in your building. They're quiet. They're good leaders. They're they listen. They're coachable. Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki are awesome guys that I think are legends in Texas. They'll be Texas legends forever. They're a really big deal. Um, Now, this is really, really cliche. I think a lot of people are going to get mad at me for this, honestly. But my favorite NBA player, both current and all-time, is LeBron James. It just is. Um, I grew up watching LeBron. And I always liked watching him as a kid. My dad and I would watch him. It was fun. Um, But for me... As I've grown up, my appreciation for LeBron has also grown. Uh, people forget where LeBron James came from. It's funny, like, everybody hates on people that are rich and famous and successful, but that's not where LeBron James came from. LeBron James is you and I who made it. He's a guy like you and I who, I mean, look, we're not six foot eleven or six foot nine, whatever, however big he is. We're not LeBron James, we never will be. But LeBron James was a kid from Akron, Ohio. With a single mother. He's not a guy from a ton of wealth. He's not a guy. He's just a dude who chased his dreams, was incredibly good at basketball, but he's not just incredibly gifted. I mean, he worked his butt off to get where he is. You also have to remember LeBron James has been famous since he was in high school. Can you imagine? I was an idiot when I was 17. I was literally like the the worst. I cannot fathom if I was incredibly famous at 17 years old. It's embarrassing to look back and think about that. And fame is hard to deal with. I I am not famous at all. But I do have a lot of followers and I've got a lot of eyeballs on me at the very least. And I feel tremendous pressure. And I'm not even, 
I'm not even like, nobody cares who I am. I just am a guy with like a hundred and almost, I think 128,000 subscribers on YouTube. I have a bunch of followers on Instagram. That's it. And for me, that's a lot of pressure. I can't imagine having national news talk about you all the time in high school. Can you imagine? It's unbelievable to me. Getting a lot of attention can mess with your head. And here's what's so cool about LeBron James. He's not perfect. He's not. But LeBron James has handled the fame and the attention really, really both graciously and responsibly. I mean, the dude is a shining example of what to do. A lot of guys get a lot of money and a ton of fame, and they start doing a lot of crazy stuff. Crazy cars, women, spending money left and right, doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff. LeBron James is not that. Instead, he's a good example. He's a family man. I mean, one of my favorite things LeBron James does is he has Taco Tuesday on his Instagram story where he has dinner and taco night with his family. Taco Tuesday. Like, it's fun. He's a fun, entertaining, interesting dude who has been massively successful, but he's handled it really, really well. And he's a good example to people out there. If you, if you end up like LeBron James, do it the way he's done. He's a responsible businessman. He's a family man. I love watching LeBron James on the court. He's fun to watch play basketball. But I'm even more fascinated in LeBron James, the guy off the court, and the way he carries himself, who he is, how he's handled his success and his fame. If I'm honest, LeBron James is my favorite player of all time. I love the guy. I know people hate on him. A lot lot of people hate him. I I don't, I just, for me, I'm a guy, I appreciate his greatness. I appreciate his success, and I really enjoy watching him on the court. Um, And I enjoy watching who he is off the court, too. He's just, seems like a kind of guy that, um, again, not perfect, but... He, has, he seems like he's got good intentions, and uh, I just respect that about him. I do. Uh, one of my favorite things he's ever done. This is very silly. It's a weird tangent. Um, there's a movie called Trainwreck where LeBron James plays himself. He's a side character, and it's so awesome. He helps – oh, who's, what's the guy, the actor's name? I forget the actor's name, but he helps this guy. He's like the guy's friend, his trainer, and uh, it's, it's got Amy Schumer, but it's really not – for me, the movie is all about LeBron James and this dude – LeBron James helps this guy get the girl. It's so much fun for me. It's called Trainwreck. It's an awesome movie. Um, and I recommend you see it. If you haven't, go watch Trainwreck. It's got LeBron James in it. It's really, really fun. And uh, it's one of my... It's not a favorite movie of mine of all time or anything, but it was one of those moments where I went, oh, that's cool. Hey, LeBron, you're in this movie. And it was <laughs> it was fun. I don't know. I enjoyed it. The last question of the day is from a guy named Numbered. Numbered writes in. He says, hey, Zach. I wanted to ask what your thoughts are on the future of esports as a mainstream spectator product and how they currently compare to in real life sports. As somebody who enjoys both, I find there are a lot more parallels on the fan side than traditional sports fans and avid gamers realize. Um, I'll be honest, man. I don't connect with esports at all. I have no doubt it has a future. It's going to be, it'll be a big thing. People will watch it. Um, But I've never played games competitively. I don't. Um, I don't even play games online. I like story-driven games. One of my favorite games of all time is I like The Last of Us. I love Uncharted. I like Horizon Zero Dawn. I like God of War. Um, I, I like the Halo games when I was a kid. It was really fun. But people don't realize that pro gamers are not just dudes on their couch playing video games. People like from the outside don't understand how gifted and talented a professional gamer is. Uh, number one, their reaction time is unreal. I mean, they... Their hands, their reaction time is a lot quicker than the average normal human being. But number two, pro gamers have a ton of skills. I mean, people don't understand 
what they do with the controller or with a mouse and keyboard, however they play, it's a skill set. It's really a thing you develop and takes a lot of practice and a lot of work and a lot of time. Um, all my best friends play games competitively. I don't. Uh, but part of why I don't is because it's so difficult. It's so time consuming to get really good requires a bunch of time. And I prefer to spend my time working on the show and hanging out with my girlfriend. That's pretty much all I do. All I do is work and hang out with my girlfriend. That's literally it. Um, but esports reminds me a lot of skateboarding. Uh, people, when I was, I, I was a skateboarder when I grew up and people really look down on skateboarding. There was a stereotype that skateboarders are lazy. And I encourage anybody who wants to call skateboarding lazy, try to do a kickflip. Try to learn how to do a kickflip. Nobody's lazy. If you can do a kickflip, you're not lazy at all. Learning tricks on a skateboard takes hours and hours and hours of commitment. It's the same thing if, you know, people who criticize video games, okay, sit down and play literally an online multiplayer match of anything. You'll get destroyed. My dad, trying to play video games, would get annihilated. It really is a skill set. It takes time. It takes work to get there. And you got to fail over, and with skateboarding especially, you fail over and over and over again, and you got to get up and keep trying. It's probably similar. I mean, when you're playing video games at first, and I know when I do, I play and I just get killed. Like, I will have like a, a five to one kill to death ratio where I'm dying five times. I finally get a kill in the game. It's horrible to me. And for me to push through that horrible experience to get good would take a lot of failing and then trial and error. I don't want to do the work, but I got to respect the skill of it. It's like, man, it's massively underappreciated. To me, skateboarding and esports are very, very similar. And it's weird where very, you know, there are very few things where the sport is judged by the lowest common denominator. It is. You know, you don't just talk like my dad has touched the football at some point in his life. My dad is not a football player. When you see a guy playing catch at a park, you don't go, that guy's a football player. However, with skateboarding, with video games, anybody who touches a controller, anybody who touches a skateboarder, they're considered a skater. They're considered a gamer. Not by me or you, but by the outside looking in. They go, oh, that guy's got a video game controller. He must be a gamer. And the difference between a casual skateboarder or a casual gamer and a professional is so astronomically big. I mean, it's a massive, massive difference. It takes a ton of skill and it takes a ton of preparation. And people just don't notice that at a glance. If you're just an outsider looking in, you're not going to look at a guy with a video game controller playing an online game or riding a skateboard going, oh, that guy worked his butt off to get where he is. But the reality is the work behind the scenes takes a ton of preparation and a ton of development of a skill. So to me, Look, I don't connect with esports that much. I don't. Part of it's because I don't play online, so I don't even understand how to appreciate all the stuff they do. But my friends are very much into it, and I appreciate skateboarding. It's something I used to do. And so, when people are heavily critical from the outside looking in at something like that, they just have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I'll probably never cover esports on this channel, on this podcast. Um, I mean, the same. I don't cover. I don't cover cricket. It's not something I'm into. But I can definitely respect it. And so, um, yeah, esports, I think, have a definite future. And anybody who's critical of esports, I think, just doesn't understand at all and is totally, totally out of the loop. All right, guys, I want to end the show this way. Uh, four years ago, my younger brother took his life, and I learned two really painful lessons when that happened. Uh, number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, my younger brother committed suicide, never told anybody. 
went home one day, found him dead on the floor. It's really awful and tragic. And I don't want that for anybody else. So if you're struggling, please, I'm begging you, talk to somebody. Talk to a parent, a counselor, a teacher, a coach, your friend, anybody, please, especially someone, an older person in authority, reach out to them. Go get help. If you're struggling, do not keep that a secret. Don't suffer in silence. Go get help. If you have truly nobody to talk to, if you really don't have a single person you can reach out to for help, then please call the Suicide Hotline. The Suicide Hotline is one 800 273 8255. If you have nobody else to talk to, then call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255. The other part of this, man, is that make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Tell the people in your life you love them. Tell them you care about them. Tell them that you're there for them if they're having a hard time. Uh, that's the thing I regret the most from you know growing up as a kid is I, I wish I'd told my brother more how much I loved him, how much I, care about, how, how much I cared about him, that I was there for him if he was having a hard time. Uh, it's just a big deal, man. I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. I'm scrolling through. If you're watching on video, I'm scrolling trying to find something. There's a Jim Carrey quote I want to read. Um, but again, I just want to say I encourage everybody, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Tell them you care about them, you love them, give them a hug. Uh, I just encourage you, man. The thing I regret the most from time with my brothers, I should have told him more how much I was proud of him, how much I cared about him, how much I loved him. And I should have made it more clear to him that if I was, if he was struggling, he could reach out to me. He could come talk to me. You know, I make sure the people in your life know you're safe. It's totally cool if they come talk to you and share their struggles. I didn't do a good enough job of that in my life. And I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them and how much you care about them. Uh, I want to say, here's a Jim Carrey quote. I try to read it, read it at the end of every single show. Jim Carrey once said this. He said, I believe depression is legitimate. But I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, and surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. I totally agree with that. I love that. Give yourself a fighting chance. Go enjoy your life. Do the things you can. And if you can't, if you're really struggling, please, I'm begging you, go get help. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum. Bam, we are done.